You're now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Everybody, welcome to Sound of Sanity. I am Nathan. I am your humble and obedient host. We've got the preacher who's a teacher of sanity right there. His name is Ben. He punches you and then he kicks you in the teeth. It's not beneath his fighting style. He'll punch you a while, then he'll throw you off a cliff. He will lift you over his head, throw you, you'll be dead. It's Ben. Yeah, it's Ben. Hey, Ben. What's <laughs> up, <So>, Nathan? <laughs> How you doing? Good. I just was kicking someone in the teeth and came in to record the show. You freestyle yeah. like somebody who's not listened to a lot of rap in his life. <laughs> Who, me? Jake. Yeah. I'm a child of the streets, my friend. I've been spitting bars and listening to the, the spittage of other bars since I was a young child. Me and my homies would get in our bouncy car uh-huh. thing. Yeah, the bouncy car thing. Yep. And we'd get some some. Go to your bouncy castle. Go to our bouncy castle. Yeah, white castle. Take off yeah. your take off your shoes. <laughs> jump around for a little mm-hmm. bit. Jump yeah. around. Get on up and get down. Yep. Get on up and get down. We have our our weapons and we hurt people with them. We've got uh, attractive ladies. We're into us. All that stuff. Yeah. So Ben, we don't even yep. know who this other guy is. We don't. You're right. You, you, who Nathan? could he be? Yeah, you better <laughs> remedy that, my friend. All right. I don't know why I said friend so tentatively. <laughs> my, I'm pretty sure that we're friends. Yeah, no, it's not because Ben's not my friend. Ben's a very good friend. It's just I was like, why am I calling him my friend? Uh, should I finish this sentence? Yeah, I guess I will. All right, friendo. All right, friendo. <laughs> You've been putting it up all your life. There you go. Uh, you caught it. Good yeah, job. Of course I did. Uh, uh, I don't know. Accept or accept. Wow. Words. I have them. I accept it. This guy's I accept got words. your words. Yes. I do. This is Jake Mensel. The pastor who's a master of sanity right here. That's me. What do you guys want to talk about today? This is going to be super old news by the time it this episode airs, but you got some Will Smith thoughts as long as we're talking rap? Not really. No. Will Smith's a wuss. Yeah. It's always been a wuss. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, that's all there is to it. My big thought when I saw it happen is, wow, Chris Rock just made millions of dollars all right. in a second. Yeah, he's got a comedy special. He's got he he just had to have been sitting there thinking, how did this happen to me? Like, yeah, I don't understand. So perfect. Anybody? Thanks, GI Jane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, retarded thirty-year-old movie reference that I threw out. It is it is a hack joke. That's to, it's if but you're gonna that's to his advantage. It was a really lame hack joke mm-hmm. that no sane person could take offense at. Right. It was like is a unobjectionable. As any material he could have, but I don't know what his other material was because I didn't watch the show and I don't want to go back and watch it mm-hmm. and I don't care. It's the Oscars. No one cares. Nobody cares. But still, it it was probably one of the least objectionable jokes in his whole arsenal that night. Probably one of the least objectionable jokes in Chris Rock's career. Yeah. Hmm. No kidding. And so to have something that, I mean, people are coming to Will Smith's defense and talking about alopecia and how sensitive it is for a black woman's hair and okay. But there's the whole other thing to this story, which is, I mean, Jada sleeps with her son's friends and talks and about talks it, about it publicly yeah. on her podcast. And they haven't like, it's just, they have an open marriage. Yeah. And so, okay. You gotta let other men sleep with your wife. You're gonna let your wife sleep with other men, but you're going to be super offended by, G.I. Jane joke and go slap somebody to what? Prove your manhood? Pretty was he looking, especially given that he laughs. Now, anytime, if you're sitting in a crowd and somebody makes a joke out about you, your brain is probably not even going to process the joke. You're just going to smile and laugh politely because, so I don't actually look down on Will Smith for smiling and laughing because you would do that. I would do that. Anybody, anybody would do that. Would do that. If I the agree. spotlight's suddenly on you, you know, the cameras are going to land Although on Jada you. Although Jada did not do that. No, she processed it very quickly and found it to be lacking in comedic value yep but yeah. still well there's a reason will smith is one of the great celebrities of our era and that's because he's a good performer and if you're a good performer your natural instinct is going to be to, to roll with anything to roll with anything and to be a good sport yep which he was up until mr nice guy mr nice guy 
like Jackie Chan in, his, in the great cinematic masterpiece, Mr. Nice Guy. Mm-hmm. Well, like Will Smith in the song he wrote about himself called Mr. Nice Guy. The great musical masterpiece, Nice Guy. It was not fake. That's the dumbest take that I see. It wasn't fake. It wasn't to boost Oscars. No. no nobody writes that. No. The Oscars are not self-aware If you write enough. it, you don't write it for Will Smith. That's the other thing. You write it for somebody who's desperate, who's not going to win an Oscar that night, but who's desperate to get some attention thrown back on his name. Well, and if you're Will Smith, you don't, you, you have the clout and you don't <laughs> accept, like, no, I'm not, you don't take Absolutely that deal. Absolutely not. You know, they have to have some real skeletons in the closet or something like that in order to get you to do something like that. It's just stupid. Right. He, do, he doesn't need, what are they going to pay him? He doesn't need their money. He doesn't need anything. So maybe, maybe if it was in order for you to get the Oscar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've got to do this thing for us. But, I mean, come on. Nobody had the wherewithal to plan something like that. Where there's a Will Smith, there's a Way Smith. I'd like to apologize to... Where there's a Will, there's Jake, a, I'd like there's to apologize a Weta. To, well, there's a, well, there's a Will, there's a Weta. That's, that's good. That's not bad. Well, you know, it was a thing. Yeah, I don't think we have anything profound to say about it, though. No, I mean, the sort of standard conservative position is... Bunch of multimillionaires doing things. Why would you care one way or nothing? Which is I, that the standard position? Well, I don't know what the standard position is. That's kind of is the. Is that what you project to be the standard? That's the standard, uh, like the Ben Shapiro crowd, oh, which okay. I, I don't know how much that encompasses our our, our audience, but the sort yeah, of. I don't listen to Ben Shapiro. So I, I do not, not either. I, I follow him on Twitter and I kind of keep up with what the Daily Wire is doing, although increasingly I think it's stupid and I always thought it was stupid, but. I mean, they are, if you don't know, the Daily Wire is very quickly becoming just another Fox News. They're, they're just selling out, I think. But in any case, their take is just kind of, well, the eccentric multimillionaires who have nothing to do with you did a thing mm-hmm. to distract you from Sleepy Joe stealing your gasoline or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't even have a good attack on that position. It's just. I just, just none of this rises to the level of something that I care mm. that much about one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. The news has been awfully hard to care about lately. Ever since Ukraine, I think. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, if you have any sense and wherewithal, I think the position is I don't have to like Russia you invading the Ukraine and I don't have to like and support the Ukraine. And I... There's a reason that this is being politicized and I don't even know how to parse it all. Yeah, I resent the, uh, to some degree, I resent the need to always have to have a take on some of these things. Like, uh, it's Well, the reason to have a take on, uh, there are any number of wars in the world right now. The reason to have a take on Russia, Ukraine is because the mainstream media tells you. Exactly. That this is the thing to have a take on. And why is it important to have a take on it? Well, because there's all kinds of weird things going on there with hun- with the Biden family and the, the CIA, and there's all kinds of weird NATO, all kinds of weirdnesses about the Ukraine and the way it's been used to launder money and to it's all kinds of like you scratch the surface there, and it's like, well, okay. The reason that to make a big deal about this is because they tell us to, right? Because a bunch of people are intent on starting world war three or something like that i guess right but uh, i don't know about you guys i don't really care for that putin fella also don't really care for the Zelensky, mm-hmm. and and it's impossible to know what's what's true coming you know absolutely just think of the first week you know you had the ghost of kiev mm-hmm. and you had the lady passing out the sunflower seeds and you had the island of people saying F you to the, literally to the Russian right. warship that got blown away. And all of it was total fake news. Mm-hmm. And then you had this whole discussion of, well, but if it pushes the right agenda, does it matter if it's fake news? It's yes. Like, yes, of course it does. Because truth matters, guys. Mm-hmm. And then Orwell gets quoted by absolutely everybody. The first casualty in any war is truth. Mm-hmm. But he's right. And he knew it because he was a war reporter. Mm-hmm. Well, and there is just this need to make heroes and make villains out of out of these scenarios, and right. And it is—it's just like you know what, whatever else Zelensky is, he's not a hero, and 
Putin's might be a villain, but he's not a teeth gnashing sociopath with no interest in saving his own people or in doing anything. Like he, he's, he doesn't just want to watch the world burn. If he wants to watch the world burn, it's because he thinks it'll be good for the Russia. The people who want to watch the world burn are the people who are calling for Putin to be assassinated and displaced. Like, what do you think is going to happen if, I mean, what, what is it that you're really after? Do you think that the world is, do you think that Russia is going to be happy? Well, do you think that somebody else isn't going to rise up who's more out of control? Like, it's just crazy. Well, the narcissism, the... I dare say Anglo-centricism of the whole thing. The idea that, well, we don't like Putin. So obviously there must be a bunch of suffering Russian people that are actually on our, no, they hate us. Yeah. And they didn't like us putting a bunch of NATO stuff in in Ukraine. Like, I don't know. I don't know. We said we weren't going to talk about it. Too late. (laughs) Too late. What else is going on? Anything? I mean, that's all that's in the news. So it's displacing the rampant inflation and gas prices, although it's a, a contributing factor to the gas prices. Well, uh, I saw on CNN, COVID, we have a COVID's b- over. Booming, uh, booming economy. Actually, yeah, I, think, I think you dropped this in our oh, yeah. Slack channel. Yeah, you yeah I, think it, I think it's that what Republicans are trying to distract us from our booming economy or something like that. Was that the... Yes, yeah, so, uh, President Biden's approval rating has fallen. What? To lowest level of his presidency, despite booming economy (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i and i saw a stat i mean we could talk about gas prices we could talk about Putin. Putin. (laughs) (laughs) well when when president biden and and vladimir putin have a baby (laughs) yeah name him putin (laughs) (laughs) biden talking about how there are going to be food shortages and you already see in places just at the grocery store I, and, I, and I saw a chart. I forget where the data for this came from, so I'm not sure how reliable it is offhand, although I remember I remember it because I remember clocking it as reputable. Mm-hmm. The average, I think, increase in food price, uh, food price for the average American, the average American is expected or household is expected to spend between $5,500 and $6,000 in addition on food in 2022 because of inflation and the way things are are working and upcoming and pending food shortages which are just guys the natural trickle trickle down effect of how all this works if you cut off the gas supply you're going to make it hard for farmers to go out and and buy seed and sell their crops and fertilizer is shipped around the world and fertilizer prices go up and it's going to be harder to have Fertilizer farmers will be cutting back on their fertilizer because they have to cut expenses, which means they won't have as high a yield. They won't have as high yields. Then there's even less food to go around. If there's less food for uh, human consumption, there's also less food for livestock. And so it's just sort of like, is this cascading thing that we're looking at right now? And, but the economy's booming. Mm-hmm. So, yay. Yeah. Maybe booming in the sense of like a series of destructive explosions. Yes. Booming in the sense that the palm booms. Ben, your thoughts on napalm. Do you love the smell of it in the morning? My thoughts are that... <clears throat> oh, napalm. Napalm. <laughs> you know the country of Nepal? <laughs> Napoli? <laughs> yeah, I think... My thoughts are that black Californians who can prove a direct lineage to enslaved ancestors will be eligible for reparations, according to CalMatters. Enslaved dancers? Enslaved ancestors. Oh. Well, that <laughs> a... where is your, where's your mind going to? I don't know. I wanted to know who was enslaving these dancers and yeah. thought we could do something about it. Yeah. California's doing reparations, eh? Mm-hmm. They're talking about it or they're doing it? Uh, it sounds like they're doing sounds it. Sounds like they're doing it. Well, that ought to make the economy boom. I'm going to give people extra money to spend. That'll... Yeah, that money doesn't have to come from anywhere. It's just a more money for more people equals more wealth, right? Isn't Mm -hmm. that how it works? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is. You guys, what, should we move to California? Yeah, we should totally move to California. Only if we want to stop racism. Otherwise, we should stay here. Okay. If we want racism to continue, we should stay here. (laughs) That's right. Okay. If we want to help stop racism and make sure that everyone gets their slice of the money for their ancestors' pain, then... 
Well, let it never be said of Nathan Aaron Alberson that he doesn't want everyone to get their slice of the money. <laughs> <laughs> you guys know I'll have to take a $20 bill and I'll just uh, slice it up and I'll pass it around. Uh-huh. Uh, that's the thing that I do. That's good. Well, I'm glad that we can be a part of ending racism like that. Yeah. It just took money. Who knew? Who knew? Well, Who knew? money makes the world go round. <sighs> I don't know, guys. What else is going on? You read any good books or got anything mm. you want to share with the people? Okay. so. I'm reading several books right now. Um, I think the last time we talked about this, I was reading, listening to Daddy Tried with my son, Peter. Mm -hmm. I paused that when we got to the part where we had a litany of all of these horrific sins Mm. that I just did not want my 14-year-old son having planted in his head. He has a relative innocence I think that it's just not wise to sure. put certain ideas in his head right now at a very tender time in his life. So for the virtue of listening to Daddy Tried, I do think that that book is for a more mature audience who's seen some more life and experienced some more sin and can connect on some of those issues. Sure. So that's where that's at. I am uh, reading that book with my discipleship group at church, though, with mm-hmm. the men, and they're jazzed and excited about that. So that's cool. What else have I been listening to? I started a book called, I, I, I've sort of put mostly my audiobooks on, I, I, I tend to either be into podcasting or into audiobooks. And, yeah, do the same thing. And I just sort of like go back and forth. So I'm in a time of podcasts right now, mm-hmm. but I did start a book called Run the Mile You're In by Ryan Hall because I listened to an interview with him on The Drive with Peter Atia, and it was just a really good, it, it was clear he was a Christian, although he was, you know, wanted to talk about faith and just God generally, or, but it's clear that he was a Christian. And he's, a, he's the man who set the American record for the half marathon and the marathon, and just talking about things, running in general and toughness and what it takes to get through a half marathon or a marathon, what it takes to set those kinds of records. And I was, I was interested in that. And, you know, one of his big things is you, you cannot, at least he could not look at the race as the whole while he was in it. He could never do that. It would be psychologically overwhelming to him to mm. think he's got, you know, 16 miles ahead of him. He could only ever get through each mile by running that mile. Then, you know, using that to make metaphors for life and things like that. So I thought, oh, well, this was really interesting and encouraging and helpful. I'll use an audible credit on his book. The book is actually a kind of a pretty squishy evangelical thing published by Zondervan with a lot of, you, you don't, you feel almost like it was ghostwritten or like, the editors just really like spiritualized a lot of things because the tone and tenor of him in the interview and him in the book were not the same. Interesting. So there's still some helpful things in it, but also it's just like, eh, this is just sort of like run of the mill evangelical self-help. If I want self-help, I'll go to the pagans where they just give it to you mm-hmm. instead of the, <laughs> the fake, uh, fake Christians who give it to you in a fake way Yeah, and try to mask their pagans self-help and spiritual language. What else? I guess two other books that are sort of on pause that I intend to come back to. One's called Hold On to Your Kids, Why Parents Need to Matter More Than Their Peers by Gordon Newfield and Gabor Matei. And that's just a a sort of uh, attachment theory type of uh, Mm -hmm. book if you're familiar with attachment theory. But attachment theory is like a a one universal way of approaching parenting. And so it's... Mm. But it is... What it, what, it, what it does get right is that the context for any exercise of authority and discipline is, is love mm-hmm. and a real. And so one of the arguments that they make is if you don't have attachment, which basically I think really amounts to having your kid's heart like you would just read about in Proverbs, then you'll be impotent in your parenting. And so above all else, you need to foster healthy attachment that's age appropriate mm-hmm. for every age and station of of life and development. And I forget why I started reading that, but I know that attachment theory 
And the way that it works and the people who have done that sort of research have been really helpful to people in our church up in Bloomington who are, who have adopted just sort of like, and I think part of it is just as simple as, well, I have this bonded relationship with my natural children. And so the discipline and the obedience sort of kind of flows naturally out of this bond, out of this. But when I apply the same tactics to these kids that I've adopted, it doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Mm. And that's where attachment theory kind of steps in and helps people understand, not just, well, that you have to have their hearts because of course these parents are working toward that, but just sort of even the science of how you bond with your kids from the time they're in their mother's mm -hmm. womb through their very most important early infant stages and how when that's disrupted and broken, what happens to kids and ways that you can get that back or try to get that back or ways that they may struggle with attachment for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. That was interesting going through having our first child because I don't know how it's been historically or even if a decade or two ago, but I felt like 95% maybe of what the hospital wanted to teach us when we took those dopey parenting classes that you had to take, like the, the stuff that was the throw off, like, oh, I guess we'll get to this was like, here's how you put on a diaper or here's how you keep your baby from choking. Like that was like the, the, the dregs, but everything was skin to skin and to right. skin to skin to skin to skin and attachment, 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 attach. I mean, it was just like for the physical health, hmm. for, mm -hmm. for the mental, for the spiritual, but for the physical, like you have to be doing this from, from day one. That was like, all yeah. that they wanted to focus on, which was yeah, and really interesting to me. Yeah, and there's real value and virtue in that. And the, I mean, the science behind that's there, but that's just what, it has to be taught now because we, 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 we live in a society that hates kids. Mm -hmm. And so what would have come naturally to generations of families before, and, and, and we also have, we went through this whole phase culturally of absolutely sterilizing and making everything about birth medical and antiseptic. So. Mm -hmm. You go in and the dad's not allowed in the delivery room and you are in the stirrups and you do the things and then they take the baby away and they do the medical things and they just realize that there are consequences and that actually, you know, the way that we've always done it where you just have the baby with the midwife and then baby goes to mom, actually, it's actually really healthy and good for the kid mm -hmm. um, and for them. So, so yeah, I've been just sort of dabbling in that book here and there. And again, I forget why, but that sort of thing's interesting to me. I see it as, okay, we, it took us a hundred years and a thousand scientists to get down to basic truths like, my son, give me your heart, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. That is interesting. But, but it is cool to see the ways that that sort of thing works. And then, and then the shortcomings of it too. Right. Well, it certainly explains why I saw you line all your kids up the other day and say, you will attach yourself in an age appropriate manner to Commander Daddy. Exactly. Or there right. will be consequences. Exactly you right. Were, yeah. You screamed it. I think you really got their attention, the spittle. Yeah. Well, I did it for each kid in a unique way after you'll remember blowing a, my, my whistle with their unique right. call sign. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's good. So, yep. If only your wife didn't uh, cut up curtains and <laughs> make dresses for them. <laughs> and run around in drapes. Run around in drapes. And You've got to put a stop to that behavior. Right. I know. I don't yeah. know. I'm not sure quite how to do that. And there's a little, there's a lot of singing going on in your family, actually. I've been meaning uh, to talk to you about that. that well, there's a sound, it. I think, and it's, <laughs> frankly, it's the sound of music. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it needs to be squashed. <laughs> but <laughs> thankfully, the hills around my house are dead. Mm-hmm. I've seen to it. So mm -hmm. there are no hills at all. <laughs> They're dead. Wow. Yeah. Well, that That's explains intense. why I saw, you, I saw <laughs> yeah. your wife running up the hill going, the hills are dead. And then she started coughing and yeah, slid slowly and down. Now there's no more hills even at all. So, mm -hmm. um, so then <laughs> one other book I'm dabbling in. This one's super interesting, but I can only take so much of it at a time. Oh, time. no. <laughs> That's not what I wanted. Guess what book it is that's <laughs> super interesting, but he can only take a little bit of it at you the time. You will never guess this book. Uh, the Cat in the Hat comes back. Oh, man. First try. First try. First try. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> the dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Encyclopedia Britannica. What is it? This book is called The Sovereign Individual, and the uh, subtitle is Mastering the Transition to the Information Age. Mm. Yeah, you told us about this one. Okay. And it is, it's like written in 1999. Oh, right, right, right. And it is like, it is insane how much this book gets right. It's basically, it's like written in 1999. It basically predicts 9-11, for goodness Mm. sake. (laughs) I mean, I'm not even joking. It it basically predicts 9-11. It talks about, it it doesn't say anything about the Twins. It talks about bin Laden. It talks about the way that Bill Clinton approached bin Laden. It talks about all kinds of things. It talks about cryptocurrency and how that's going to be a thing that changes the game. These guys are ultra libertarians and they're, I think they're basic essential. They're talking about how the internet's going to revolutionize everything. The universities are going to implode because, and about how online communities are going to replace physical communities. It's going to mean more economically because what you're going to be able to do is get your entire income online and have an online persona where you're able to do that. You can live anywhere in the world that you want. And so it's going to erase borders for nation states. And that and that's going to cause a, a, a problem where the nation states are fighting to maintain control. And they're all going to go fascist, socialist into these lockdowns and try to control information. Censorship is going to just all kinds of fascinating things like that. Super fascinating and super interesting to see where they saw things head heading and, uh, and what still remains unfulfilled in terms of their little prophecies here. So I'm only in chapter one. Oh, no. We don't know what's I'm two happen. hours in. Oh, okay. Wow. Hmm. So it's pretty dense. It's dense. It, and it, it's 17 and a half hours long, mm-hmm. a listen. But I can only take so much of it at a time, in part because it's like, while this is super interesting and insightful, and a lot of it really is, at the end of the day what I'm looking for from the audio I listen to, whether it's books or podcasts, is ways that help me control the things I can control and grow. Either either in just my general physical health and well-being or grow spiritually. And so this isn't that. And so I don't have a lot of time for that. Right. I'm willing to listen to all kinds of things and be challenged by all kinds of people. At the end of the day, it's scripture and it's our church and it's how do I be a better husband and father and man of God mm-hmm. and pastor. Mm-hmm. So this is interesting. It's insightful. But you, you ain't going to stop the nation states from leaping into the metaverse if that's what they want to do? Yeah. And then they talk about that. They actually call it the metaverse. They talk about mm-hmm. it. I mean, it's like, it's that sophisticated and that smart. It's really fascinating, but there's nothing that I, it's just sort of like, isn't it neat that these guys basically predicted the last 20 years? Mm-hmm. Cool, I guess. Now I know that, I mean, maybe if there's more, I should pay. I should listen and pay attention to what they have to say about that more because they may be right. And it may be that important for helping me set up my, my family and our church family for whatever is coming mm-hmm. down the line. But you don't, at the end of the day, God's people have always been best served by simply focusing on the next act of obedience in front of them. Interesting that God is in his heaven and we don't have to have all of these things figured out ahead of time because mm-hmm. he does. And he's what he requires of us is clear. So maybe if I had read this book 20 years ago, I'd, I'd have invested and believed it. I'd have invested in Bitcoin sooner or something like that and have had more money. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's about all you you get from something like this mm-hmm. hmm. so yeah those are things i've been reading there you go and or listening to although it's the podcast that i've been listening to more than anything how about uh, you guys i've been doing the incredible edifying ed- incredibly edifying work of trying to find a good stephen king story for the bookening the bookening is going to do a stephen king later this year our bookening is our literature podcast stephen king is Famous for his horror, yes, but also famous for his sexual vulgarity. And so I've been trying to find something that doesn't have those things. Because he's striking out so far. Uh, well, I have a couple things in mind. I'm not that excited about them. There's a novella called The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, but a girl who really likes Tom Gordon, a baseball player, I think. Do you know who Tom Gordon is? I don't recognize that name. Well, she she loves Tom Gordon and she gets caught lost in the woods and it's like a survivalist thing and she uses I think she imagines Tom Gordon 
Are you looking up Tom Gordon? Is that, mm-hmm. is that just the old man in I'm the not, sea? Uh, yeah, except for it's a little girl surviving in the woods. I, there's no like supernatural element to it or anything like that. Just like Joe DiMaggio would be proud. Yeah, yeah, it's like that kind the of old, thing. Old man in the sea. Yeah, I, I don't know. And so that's good, but it would be nice to do something that was a little bit Actually, more. Actually, was more Stephen King. More representative of Stephen King if you're going to do him at all, which there's an argument to be made not to do him. There's also an argument like, He's the most popular author of the last 30 years. I mean, he's he's been incredibly influential both in and outside of the horror supernatural genre. And he's a great storyteller. So I'd like to do him. And I think it would be good to do him if we can figure out a way to do it. Uh, he is what you said about Peter and stopping daddy tried is actually an interesting counterpoint to Stephen King because it's not he, he doesn't include a lot of sex scenes and stuff like that. But that's not any different than like a John Grisham or, or any of those guys right. would always, and those You're things get that in Grisham for sure. Right. And I, I was reading Grisham when I was thir- 12, 13, 14 and yep, absolutely sex scene on the beach or whatever. Like that's going to happen in Grisham. Right. It's like the, the guy's just going to, he's just going to throw something in there. It's, it's like, that was that then as now the demands of commercial fiction, I guess. And, and a, a very wicked thing that though, if I found a book that just had that, I might be okay just telling people to skip it or skipping it. Or, like, like that is, it's not so much that with Stephen King as it is that he just always wants to introduce ideas to you. Like he wants to say, push the line. This is how depraved a person can actually be. This is how vulgar a person can actually be. And some of it, I'm somewhat sympathetic to because it's his sort of Tolstoyan, this is a hoity-toity thing to say about Stephen King, but it's his urge to just follow every character to their natural sort of, this is what this guy would think and he's a bad dude and I'm not going to dress it up for you. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, he does it so much and so frequently and finds a way to do it in almost every story. And so eventually you're just like, wait a second, you're not just playing fair with these characters you no, have you're a voyeur and yeah you want me to be a voyeur yeah you want you're me playing to, be a to my voyeuristic instincts and not just being yeah yeah so you really if you're gonna do a murder scene you 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 want to put ideas in my head that i just that don't belong there and, and i think there is a difference between a tastefully done murder scene or whatever there is maybe to some people it's just an oxymoron to say tastefully done murder scene but those people probably read sherlock holmes right <laughs> like there's there's some way of doing these things that cro- draws a modesty veil across what we don't need to see stephen king is just like sets the modesty on veil veil on fire any chance he gets so maybe we won't be able to do them the one, one i'm thinking we might do is the green mile which I think everybody probably knows that movie and it's a pretty good story. I think even it has some sexuality, although it's between a man and his wife and it's it's sweet within the story that he's telling, but we still, it's like, I don't need to really know what's going on in this guy's bedroom, even if it's essentially something wholesome. So I'm also finding going back to Stephen King, who I read as a teenager, that for whatever reason, I'm just, uh, hopefully it's a godly reason. I'm just more susceptible to the scary stuff actually like i don't i don't like it as much like it's not Hmm. it's just like oh this is this is creepy like this will give me nightmare like i never it never occurred to like i did not ever lose any sleep over a stephen king novel growing up they were not they were kind of deliciously spooky or whatever but they weren't scary and a lot of that is that he front loads the threat it's like it's an evil clown that's gonna eat you and you're like, okay, well, I know what I know about what that looks like and how that feels. I'm not like dreading kind of the unknown quantity of like what is this menace? Like that kind of thing can really get under my skin. But just knowing it's an evil clown, like to me that wasn't as scary. But but these days I seem to have developed some kind of additional sensitivity to this kind of stuff. So I uh, I don't know. Hopefully that's a good thing. I don't know why it wouldn't be a good thing, but. I think some of it's just being older and being more in touch with my own mortality and with other people's mortality. It's like death just isn't as romantic. The older you get, the more you're, it's not like my body's breaking down in any kind of decrepit way, but it's just like, even just doing things like waking up with aches and pains in the morning, it's like, oh, I am a mortal creature and that's a bummer and death sucks. And I have friends and relations and stuff that have died and 
and just having that reality takes away some of the deliciousness of any kind of romantic spin that you can put on death and the demonic and decay and it's like mm-hmm. so in any case i'll keep you 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 uh constant listeners that's a stephen king joke because he calls his people constant readers i'll keep you constant listeners updated on Stephen on king search 2020 we'll see if i can find something that i can wholeheartedly recommend speaking of the bookening i've been working my way through farewell to to arms mm-hmm. hemingway for whom the arms toll for whom the arms toll as i think you're wife or her professor put it aptly farewell to pants yeah that book's not exactly (laughs) wholesome sauce is it but especially as you get into the later chapters it's the closest book that i think to what if you're interested in what it might actually actually be like on the ground in ukraine farewell to arms is a i think a really interesting good job of capturing the the fog of war, which is a phrase that we've all heard repeated ad, ad nauseum mm-hmm. over the past couple months, especially as it gets past all the, I am injured. And so we're just going to have, we're going to sleep together all the time in the hospital stuff. But, you know, it's basically, it's, it's fairly autobiographical, this, sure, this yeah. one, where the main character is an American who volunteered to drive an ambulance in World War I, mm-hmm. which is exactly what Hemingway did. Right. So... It's as much about his experiences on the ground and yeah, that part of it is interesting and well-written. Right. Well, and even as much as it's like, did you really need to write a beautiful woman that was interested in your bio- autobiographical character? Like that's, that's a pretty cheap trick. Like, yeah. But even there it's like, well, Hemingway did certainly uh, reel in the women in his life. Although he's a, an interesting guy. Ken Burns, there's a Ken Burns documentary. If you want to watch a bunch of, slow zoom-ins on photographs of Hemingway with uh, really nice music. <laughs> nice As music. opposed to slow zoom-ins on photographs of baseball players. Yeah, or, or the Jazz Age or <laughs> Civil, Civil War. War. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm a sucker for it. I like it. It's a good formula. And they get uh, they get a old Jeff Daniels to, to read uh, Hemingway's prose, and that's nice. And it's an interesting overview of his life if you've got six hours to... Holy cow. Spare. You know, what happened is my, my daughter was like a month old and she was crying all night. And so one night I was just like, I'm going to hang out with Theo and watch this Hemingway documentary. So, yeah. But anyway, Hemingway. Interesting life. His mother used to dress him in girls' clothes because she really wanted a girl. And that, I think, tells you a lot about where he was coming from. Oh, I don't know, Ben. Do you think he proved his manhood by the time that he shot himself in the head? Nope. <laughs> that would be my answer to that. <sighs> mm-hmm. He sure tried. Mm-hmm. He sure tried. Yeah. If he hadn't tried as hard, maybe he would have written a true blue classic. Hey, that's not fair. He wrote Old Man in the Sea, which is undeniable. I mean, all his books have parts that are undeniable, but... Yeah, I mean, For Whom the Bell Tolls had a lot of greatness to it. For Whom the Bell Tolls is one of the best books we've read on the booking it's also one of the worst books we've read on the booking because the sections that are the that are good are better than anything almost of the sections that are bad are so tacky and cheesy and puerile none of the pros in in my judgment none of the pros in the farewell to arms touches anything that you read in uh room the bell tolls it's a great book well yeah yeah (laughs) i guess it's anyway i mean it's got this dumb, dopey, puerile love story at the center of it that just is so lame, both in a moral sense and in a just like, this Come is just, this is bad writing. Like this woman just throws herself at the hero and is just like so innocent and naive. And <laughs> it's just like the most wish fulfillment-y, like it just makes you uncomfortable. Like Hemingway, don't, don't, don't show me this much of what you really wanted it's embarrassing dude like i, I, I yeah don't. yeah and the same is true in the farewell to arms with this coquettish gross immature romance yeah but the, awesome. the the war sections of for whom the bell tolls are amazing though <sighs> and i sounds like the same for the arms of doom or whatever it's called mm. um, yeah it's pretty cool all right Ben, any, anything you want to share with Constant Listener before we go? I start a lot of books. I have a lot of books started. I can't say I'm actively reading them, 
but I'm excited about several books that I started. Excited about, <laughs> I'm excited about the giant three volume Chronicle of the Civil War by Shelby Foote. Very famous work. And I started reading it and it's awesome. Shelby Foote, he's got a beard that's like a Shelby Foote long, right? He's that guy. I really, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm ignorant. I didn't even look on the back for his photograph. I don't know. This is a, this is a set of books that Relative gave me to read, who's a Civil War buff. And it's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shelby Foote is actually famous because of Ken Burns. Ken Burns put him in that documentary. Okay. He's very entertaining and, and okay. enlightening in that documentary. He's kind of a, the, the breakout star of Ken I, Burns' The Civil War okay. documentary. Well, I, I bet he is. This first chapter is on Jefferson Davis and who he was. And you never knew that you were interested in who Jefferson Davis was until you start reading this chapter. And you're like, okay. Yeah. This is completely interesting. Well, Ben, I think you need to pay some reparations, is my opinion, if you're... To Shelby Foote? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, if it needs to be done, it needs to be done. It I mean, needs... let me know where to send the check. Let's see. What else? What else? I'm reading Calvin and the Company of Passers, mm -hmm. which is another historical book about John Calvin in the 16th century in Geneva and what his life and the lives of all the pastors there was like. Have you read that one, Jake? I know you've had it recommended by all and sundry. I mean, I've had it. Mm -hmm. I've probably uh, probably owned it for 10 years before you started reading it, but I don't think I've turned a page. <laughs> it's really good. It's really good. I mean, I've had, I think part of the reason why I haven't read it is I've had, I've read, well, I don't really have a good excuse. I have read so much of Calvin himself. Mm -hmm. And I've read, so I've read the Institutes three times. I've read volumes of sermons and there's not a passage i preach on where i don't consult calvin if he's available i have read biographies of calvin this is just one of those things but part of it is like when i got it is when it, it, it was it had just been published and tim knew about it and got a hold of it and tim knew the guy who wrote it scott manage scott manage and so he'd been tracking with it and waiting for it even hmm and the, but then Tim basically read a lot of it out loud and discussed a lot of it oh, as yeah. he read it. And so yeah. I didn't quite feel the need to go. Well, one of the things that's interesting mm -hmm. about Tim, if you know him in private life, is Tim or, Bailey. Or, or if you know him in public we, life too. Yes, Tim Bailey, Pastor Tim Bailey, the pastor of Trinity Church, our home church, I guess, or planting church. Sending church. Sending church. That's what I was looking for. He is a remarkable raconteur, as you probably know if you've ever heard anything with him. He's a good storyteller, but he's also a history geek a history buff and a voracious reader and better than just about anyone i know at making the recitation or recounting of a book he just read its own act of entertainment and enlightenment in right. other words mm -hmm. he can he can chew over everything in a book take what's really valuable and interesting about it and then held, hold you spellbound for an hour or two while he or three i remember when mm -hmm. he read the book chernobyl uh, on the Chernobyl accident, the one that the HBO miniseries was made out of that was making the rounds a few years ago. He read that book and uh, I ended up in an office or somewhere and he was just basically telling the story of that book. But I mean, he told And that's part of how he's so hmm. good at it is that he just does it over and over and yeah. over again. And that's part of how he remembers it and integrates it into his thinking and his preaching and everything else he does. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, that is exactly what it is. So you hmm. get done listening to Tim talk for- Hours. The, the book's actually a disappointment after that. Yeah. His version is. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would just think if I was on, mm -hmm. I was not around. You feel like you've read the book and you feel, you feel like you've not just read the cliff notes, but you feel like you've had somebody in, well, fair or not, and this is not always fair or true, mm -hmm. but you feel like you've read the book by somebody who's digested it ahead of time, who's able to tell you absolutely everything in the book, and then come back and have an interesting discussion applying the most relevant parts. Mm -hmm. And the most entertaining anecdotes usually. And While also that. recounting the most entertaining anecdotes. So basically, I had that book, but I watched him read it and process it out loud in real time. I, I just want people to be sympathetic. Of that if, oh, if, yeah. if you were on I'm the ground, if I had been on the ground with Tim at that point, I wouldn't have read the book either because that's, that's, just, that's just how Tim works. and. Yeah. It's like having a great teacher and they, they tell you about the Iliad and you're like, yes, the Iliad. And then you try and read the Iliad and it's the Iliad and it's like, and then he took his spear and did this thing. This spear was this long and came and you're like, oh. he was the 
And then Peleus, the son of Archimedes, the son of the son of the son of well, yeah. who did this thing, who also threw his spear. Right. And it struck Ajax, who was the son of so and so, who was the son of so and so, who did this thing that you obviously know about, who was the son of this person who did this thing. <laughs> and it's like, that's okay. And he fell to the ground. <laughs> but I sat in a classroom and I was entranced by this story of the Iliad and it was the most exciting hour I ever spent. And now I have to read Homer to it after I heard Mr. Blobbity Bloop. Man, I can't <laughs> improvise names. Uh, after I heard Mr. Blobbity Boop do it. So I have, so, so right or wrong, I have some sympathy for yeah. Jake being like, uh, yeah, I already. No, I, I, I get it. I mean, it's not like this book in particular is not like a narrative. It's not like reading history of the Civil War mm-hmm. where you're going to get story after story just building. What you're going to get is like, let's look at this aspect of their lives. Over 50 years, how did this change? So it's relatively dry, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's really interesting anyway. But yeah, no, I can't fault Jake for not wanting to read it after the way Tim has processed it is really helpful. <laughs> well, I did a deep dive into that kind of stuff for a canceled early episode of Sound of Sanity, I think, where we were going to talk about huh. Calvin and I don't know if like this whole oh, I remember this. thing was circling again for some reason or something, yeah. but... I did research for you, Nathan. You, you did some research, and then I, I deep-dived off of that, and it is fascinating because you have so many two-dimensional portraits of that time and that city and what was going on to actually find out what the real stories were, what the relationship was between Calvin right. and the city authorities and yep. who did oh, what, yeah. when, to whom. It's It's really, really, really interesting, and yep. it really makes you think what would I have done if I was in that time? What side would I have been on? Mm -hmm. One of the things that Tim will talk about, and if you've listened to him talk, you've heard him talk about how fascinating it is just to read the consistory records, which I think Manich worked on, but also, no, Manich didn't work on that, but... Kingdon. Yeah, Robert Robert Kingdon did. Mm -hmm. Another historian. Um, Yeah, and Kingdon, together with another guy, uh, published a little volume, not a little, but a volume called in a series called Sex, Courtship, and Marriage in Calvin's Geneva, I think is the title. And mm-hmm. it's the first volume, but it's just like it pulls from the consistory records, simply related to everything pertaining to sex mm-hmm. and courtship and marriage. And man, what a window into that world. You should say, because some of our listeners might. Yeah. What, what, what is the consistory? consistory? Yeah. So the consistory would have been the city fathers of Geneva is probably the best way to think about this, where they f- they're they functionally the elders of the church, but the whole church mm-hmm. in its multiple parishes. So Calvin would have been the pastor of St. Peter's. The consistory would have overseen the government and discipline of everybody across the city of Geneva, no matter what parish they would have been divided up into. But Calvin would have sat on the consistory. But so this would have been like, I mean, essentially the records of church discipline right. by the Genevan city fathers. Well, it, and it, but it's also like the consistory would answer to the actual governing civil body right, of that's Geneva. Right. Okay. That's right. Just because you're saying you're using the term city fathers. So I thought. I'd... Yeah, there, yeah, was, there was a distinction, but there was a distinction. Mm-hmm. These weren't the civil authorities. Right. But they would have answered to the civil authorities or they mm-hmm. would have had, there, w- there was a relationship there. And that's why it gets really complicated when you come to Servetus. Yeah, people will say like, well, Calvin didn't have him burned. Yeah, well. Calvin had a lot of influence. I mean. Calvin had a lot of influence. Calvin did not want him burned. He wanted him beheaded. Right. Mm-hmm. He also warned Servetus not to come mm-hmm. to Geneva because he said our duty and the duty of the civil magistrates in Geneva will be to execute you as a heretic. Mm-hmm. So don't come also repent. But but yeah, a lot of these records are just going to be like adultery. Somebody promised marriage in order to get a young lady to have sex with him. Are they obligated to, are they married? Is he obligated to, she claims this, but he says otherwise. How do we adjudicate this whole question? Mm. How do we, she thinks they're married and he says they're not. And the two that I remember probably because Tim likes to talk about them are a, a man who has gone overseas and not been back for a long, long, long time. And them trying to decide when can we claim abandonment or Mm -hmm. death in order to free his widow or can we, Mm -hmm. does does she need to live as a married woman or not? 
And then the other one that was pretty fascinating, just because it was like, oh, these guys really took care of business. Uh, there was there was a guy that I think he was pinching the bottoms of his his maid or something like that. She had two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I said that weird, but I think you get the point. And that and they're like investigating into that and and trying to figure out what to do about this this weird thing. So yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Yeah, the the person who worked with, so Kingdon is dead, and that's part of why that second volume, I think, is still yet to be released. And I wrote actually once to the co-editor, a guy named John Witt, about uh, the second volume, which he said at the time, this would have been years ago, was in process and working its way. Mm-hmm. But I, I haven't seen it yet. But he also wrote a book that's really interesting called From Sacrament to Contract. Let me see if I can find it real quick. I have it. Marriage, Religion, and Law in the Western Tradition, which I've not actually read the book. I've glanced at it enough to absorb some of the concepts of it, but he's basically showing the uh, devolution of marriage mm-hmm. from the Reformation to the present day, from sacrament to covenant to contract, mm-hmm. in terms of how it was widely or popularly considered. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, that's what yeah. interesting stuff and details it both from a historical. So he's, like, he details the church and the church's take on these things, the Roman Catholic and the Protestant church, but then also civil definitions. And this would have come out, I think, like in the early 2000s or late 90s or something like this, so before a Burgerfell or anything like that. But if you've heard me uh, make a deal about how, uh, Marriage is a contract now, and that's how we think of it. You can enter in and enter and exit out of it because it's just an agreement between two parties and nothing more and nothing less. I think I could be wrong. I could it could be that I found wit afterwards is like, oh yes, validation for this thought that I've had. Mm-hmm. But it's also it's equally likely that I just absorbed that at some point from him. At a certain point down the line, it's hard to tell, mm-hmm. um, which is which, but mm-hmm. yeah. John Witt, W-I-T-T? I-T-T-E. I-T-T-E, okay. Yeah. No, all this stuff is interesting. I mean, you read about the consistory's struggle for power sometimes with the city over who they could and couldn't excommunicate, mm-hmm. for example, and, and the constant shifting of the balance of power, especially after Calvin died, the consistory eventually got weaker mm-hmm. because Calvin just had a force of personality and, and it was the right time. Well... Also, I mean, Calvin had his own fights with the Libertines. Absolutely. The city over the Libertines. Yes. Where he was ready to die over mm-hmm. serving the Lord separate to the Libertines. That's right. Or the, they kicked Calvin out for a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my favorite Calvin stories is that he was, or anecdotes, and I'm not sure where I picked it up, and I would have trouble finding the reference, but... One of the most awesome things that I have in my head, at least, mm-hmm. uh, is that he was in the middle of preaching Acts, mm-hmm. and they kick him out of Geneva. And then he, several years later, they beg him to come back, and he picks up in the verse that he left off. That's, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. It's really, that's totally what Calvin would do. Too. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I'm going. Well, I, I think the main thing that I take away, if, if I take away a five, is just like, Man, these guys worked hard, and their work was grueling a lot of the time. I don't know. Yeah, it's intense to read about. Um, how, how old was Calvin when he died? Um, I'm going to say 40s, but that might be a little... 40s is early. Yeah. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Mm, I can't remember. Um, Wikipedia knows. All right, yeah, you can look it up. I like when Calvin just did it, get on his Calvin. wagon with Hobbes, and they, would, uh, oh, they would go down the hill. Those were the best times. They'd have those deep conversations, and yeah. then they'd inevitably go over a cliff. And A lot of bruises after that, mm-hmm. though. So he would have been, if I can do math, 55. Okay. Just just shy of 55. Just shy of like, 55. Too much shy of 55, Dude, yeah. 55's great. Make friends with it. Wow. <sighs> well, what have we learned today? So many things, Nathan. So many things, Nathan. A lot of things. Mm. Oh, I'm also reading. I'm also reading a commentary by he who shall not be named. No, I'm just kidding. By Peter Lightheart. Oh no. Second Peter. Yep. About uh, it's making a case for preterism, basically. Second Peter is all about 70 A.D. and the destruction of Jerusalem, not the second coming of Christ. I'm about a chapter two in, and I can I can report that 
find it entirely unconvincing. <laughs> you know. Okay. So far. Okay. It's a pretty well. interesting report right there. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Now you know. I'll tell you who's a second Peter, like secondary to good Peters is Peter Lanehart. Should I have a bit of that? Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't my, my most elegant construction there, but it's... he's worth hitting your head up against sometimes. He's, he's also uh-huh. weird and dangerous. So. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I, I kind of, in my brain, I put him in the C.S. Lewis camp of stay in your lane, dude. You're a good literature kind of dude. Exactly right. Exactly right. Which, when it comes to seeing and understand certain aspects of, typo- of typology and scripture, can be really helpful and sure. insightful. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, mm-hmm. you get pretty woo-woo pretty quick. Yeah. Pretty woo-woo pretty quick. I That's guess right. We have the title of our Quote episode. Woo-woo! Woo-woo! Just woo-woo, I think. <laughs> woo-woo. Woo-woo? Yeah, that's the title of our episode. Woo-woo, quick, quick. <laughs> yes, I like <laughs> yeah, it. Pretty woo-woo, pretty quick. That's a good title. Pretty woo-woo. I you're breaking your title rule for this? Yep. All right. I, yeah. All right, so don't read Stephen King unless I tell you otherwise on a later podcast. Don't read Peter Lightheart. Don't read unless Peter. we tell you otherwise on a later podcast. Okay, bro, I guess. Yeah. Do read John Witt. Junior. John Witt Junior. <laughs> and, and the books he edits, right? And the books he edits. Yeah. Now, what would happen if you killed John Witt's dog? <laughs> you think he's he'd come for you? I think he would be very sad. <laughs> he'd just be sad. <laughs> the world, what's that? Okay. I was just going to say the world wants to know what would happen if you killed John Witt's dog. <laughs> but I'm glad we went back for it. But Maybe, yeah, thank you. What, what you I'm say? glad to do read Shelby Foot. But yeah. If you, especially if you have time for three volumes of... 600 pages each. Especially. You should, <laughs> you should consider reading Shelfy Foot. <laughs> uh, our listeners certainly have time for some John Witt, some yeah, Shelby Foot, and yeah. Some Run the Mile You're In. Run the Mile You're In. No, don't bother. Yeah. I mean, go listen, go listen to uh, his interview with Peter Atia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good Peter. Yeah, that sounds good. The Drive Podcast with Peter Atia. That sounds and good. Just listen to two hours, hour, two interviews with and that's all you need. Peter Tia, Peter Menzel, and Peter Lightheart, all mentioned on the podcast today. True. And the Apostle Peter as well. That's right. Mm. The big four. It's a lot of Peters. Are there Peters on? I don't know. I, did it, I, how many books, what books did I... Peter's on the podcast? Peter, Peter Piper picked a pack of pickle hours? Pack of pickle oh, yeah, the, Actually, the Sovereign Individual is co-authored... I oh, know. Sorry, it's written out. It has an introduction by Peter Thiel. There you go. We're five Peters in. All right. Folks, what can I say but you're welcome for a woo-woo quick... What's the name of this episode again? All right. Woo-woo too quickly? Woo-woo quick quick. No, no. Woo-woo quick quick no, no? (laughs) 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 Quick quick bye-bye, (laughs) woo-woo. I think it was just pretty quickly. That yeah. sounds right. Yeah. I'm convinced by Jake's argument. All right. <laughs> it, was, it was an argument. Yep. It was. He laid out all the evidence. <laughs> it was a smackdown. <laughs> yeah, you make a fair point, devil. <laughs> well, listen, folks, if you want to know what we really think about Will Smith, then <laughs> <laughs> go to patreon.com forward slash sign of sanity. You still won't know. But I think that's a good thing you could do with your time. That would indicate to us that you wanted to know. Yeah. Listen, if we raise $1,000 of additional support, <laughs> we will do another episode on Will Smith. You have the Nathan Oberson guarantee of quality on that, folks. I don't mean in a year. I mean, if by next week when we record again, we've raised an additional $1,000 of support, we will do an episode on Will Smith. Cool. And, yeah, patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. You can see videos. You can see you're supporting our creative work as well. You're supporting the Ville. You're supporting Chip and Lance. You're supporting the Mammalogians. It's possible they might be entering back into your life very soon. I think they read Sacco for Jocko's book. But I don't know. I don't know. I cannot say what the Mammalogians are up to. I just heard whispers. There was a tree. <laughs> That was the time to, to interrupt with a whisper from BJ. <laughs> it was? Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> you, you just heard whispers. Was I, no. All right, sorry. I was just going to say there was a dream. There was the Hemanologians, but now 
There's only a whisper. Was that from? What's the reference there? <laughs> That's Gladiator. Oh. <laughs> that was a dream that was from. <laughs> that's a good what scene. A weird pull. That's a, that's a good scene. It's a pretty weird pull. I like that scene. Yeah, I watched that. As I watched that scene a ton when we were doing Chip and Lance season one because of the voices I was doing, I was pulling pretty much from that scene. So, in any case, good old Richard Harris. Good old Richard Harris. What an awesome, fun actor. Um, I love his cadence. Got a little bit of Dumbledore. Yeah, it would have been interesting to see what he did with the more serious Dumbledore, but I liked Michael Gambon too. I like that. Yeah, and I'm I'm fine. Two Dumbledores for the price of one. And now we got Jude Law. Three Dumbledores. Five Peters on this episode. Three Dumbledores. <laughs> and we 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 all the way home. <laughs> <laughs> and there's your title. And there's your title. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash that is going to be until next time. Stay safe.